How's everybody? Good? Good. Okay. Hey, hey, I'm going to jump right into this. Before I do that, though, here's what's really crazy. When I walk up here, somebody much smarter than me pushes a button, and then all of our campuses are connected right now, including our brothers out in Lyman. Will you just say hello to them right now, because they're, they're joining us right now. All right? Hey, guys. I still want the head tattoo, just so you know that. Anyway, so um, hey, uh, today we are kind of wrapping up a series. It's week three of a series uh, called New Day, where I've been kind of taking us on, kind of on a journey with me of the last six months of my sabbatical, uh, where, where God has been using some really wise leaders in my life. And, uh, and I always say, he put me in time out. But what I mean by that is, is I, I removed from having to carry all the responsibilities of leading Flatirons uh, for a season so that I could not just rest because I was tired and it was coming out sideways on people, but also I could wrestle with God. God, you know what I mean? Uh, wrestled with my own broken thoughts and a lot of memories that I'd kind of suppress and put back. And, and then I had all these risk managers. We talked about that a few weeks ago, uh, like these, these things that we do consciously and unconsciously to kind of keep ourselves safe, right? And, um, but that's like running your life on a broken operating system. It's a matter of time till it all falls apart. And that's kind of what happened. And anytime something like that happens in my life, my, refer, my first response, my initial response is I panic, like, oh no, all right? or, I, or I get sad or I get afraid. But here's what I've learned about myself, that all my emotions, they all come out as anger, right? So sad, you know, whatever that is, it's just anger. And it makes things worse for me, but it also makes things really, really bad for anybody connected to me or standing close to me. The fallout always falls on them. And that happened too. But after all the kind of the dust settled and the smoke kind of cleared, I've always said the same thing. And because people ask me like a real scoop all the time, I want to be honest with you. For me, sabbatical was a gift from God. Not initially, it was a really bad gift. It was like, can I return that? You know, um, but it was a a good thing eventually. And God's taught me so much. The question has never been if Jim should have gone on sabbatical. Absolutely, all right? All all my energy and all my trauma came around uh, uh, how it happened. Like there's a lot of times we go, well, well, I agree it needed to happen, but not like that, okay? Because it really was, I I felt like it was an ambush. I felt like it was an intervention. But since I've been back, I've had a lot of people come up to me and said, hey, Jim, I tried to talk to you. I I tried to talk to you about what was going on. And the truth is, I don't remember that at all. I don't remember any of that. Um, They they probably did. Okay, they did. They did. All right. Um, But how about even if they did, I just didn't hear it. You ever been like that? You're so crazy up here that people are trying to talk to you and you just, you can't hear it or see it because all I could hear or see was right in front of me was this panic every day and I would get out of bed and I just always thought, is this the day I get discovered as being, you know, such a letdown and I let everything, everybody down. You ever feel like that sometimes, right? So honestly, I, I probably would not have agreed to go on sabbatical if they said, would you like to? No, I vote no, but um, uh, I, I, I did go on it. And here's what I wanna do. I, I wanna end this series um, by acknowledging the same thing I, I acknowledged when I, when I first came back, I'm surrounded by really good people. We all, we, we're not gonna make it if we're not surrounded by good people. I have good leaders in my life, good elders in my life um, who are imperfect. And I think that they would say the same thing about me. Jim's a really good man, he's a really good leader, and he, he's imperfect and make mistakes. Um, I don't know if you've ever had to be, go through anything like this before, but if you've never done before, you just make it up as you go. Right, and sometimes we would, we would just do it wrong and then we'd say, oh, time out, that's not what I meant to do or meant to say, and we would correct. The only reason uh, this worked at all is because of these truths that God has been teaching me and I wanna pass on to you over the last couple of weeks. So if you haven't been here and you don't know what I'm talking about, here's, here's the truths God has been teaching me that I've been trying to pass on to you all. The first one goes like this, uh, God is in control and we are not. If you have your phones, this should be your screensaver. Really, folks, I mean, this is good stuff, right? God is in control and we're not. All 
all we are told to do is just show up every day and be faithful and obedient to what we know to do with those entrusted to us. And anything else is above our pay grade. That's God's. We just show up and do what we do know to do. Does that make sense? The second truth goes like this, and it starts with when, not if, because it's a matter of time. When we get tired, when we get weary or overloaded, when we make mistakes, God's response to us is never to punish us or hurt us or give up on us or quit on us or, or, or leave us. It's always, no matter what we do wrong, his response is always, come here, come closer to me. Let's figure it out together. Let's carry the burden together. And the only reason that I'm up here today, again, is not because any of us did it perfectly. None of us are gonna do everything perfectly. There's times when we look across the table and go, could we have done that any worse, right? But I'm, I'm here because I'm surrounded by people who are willing to take those two truths about God and put them into practice towards me. When I was doing well, that's kind of easy, but when they, 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 they put those truths toward, toward me when all I could see was just more tunnel. God is in control and we can't give up on each other, right? God is in control and we can't give up on each other. Let's just say those out loud together. One, two, three. God is in control and we can't give up on each other. And the takeaway for, for this whole series for each of us is that if anything is gonna get better in our lives and the most important parts of our lives, like our marriages or our families or, or with our kids or with our friends or dating or whatever, the most important parts of our lives, those two big truths have to guide everything. God is in control and let's not give up on each other. Got it? Okay, truth number three. We're gonna wrap this up, all right? Here's the thing about truth number three. Um, usually, um, God will teach you something, a, a truth, and then to kind of land it, you'll look around and you'll go, uh, you'll find a metaphor or an object lesson and you can point to it and go, this truth is kind of like that. And so now every time you look at that, it'll remind you uh, of this truth, all right? That's usually how it goes. Like I talked about this last week is I was down in Mexico and I heard this guy teach and he, and he, and he said, you know, this big, huge God created the whole universe and all the way down to this earth and there's this little speck and big, huge God could do anything he wants to that speck. He could crush it, he could wipe it out, he could find a better speck who'd actually live listen to him, but instead, when this speck is messed up, God's response to me is, come unto me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take this yoke, take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light, all that stuff we talked about. And so I learned that, and then when I got home, I thought, that, that kind of stuck with me, but I need a reminder. So I got on eBay, and I bought a yoke, a, a, a real yoke, you know, and, and, I, and I hung it on my porch and I put the Bible verse under it. And all summer long, I've been staring at this yoke. So every time I look at it, I'm reminded of that truth. So usually the truth comes and then you find an object lesson. But for truth number three, it happened the opposite way. And that's what I want to talk about today. I actually started working on something and building something that I didn't think had anything to do with God at all or this big truth. But what I was going to do actually would point me to this truth. I didn't get it till several months after I'd started. So let, let, that's the story I wanna tell you today. So buckle up, here we go. So, so part of my frustration, at least in the first part of sabbatical, um, and those first meetings with my elders or, or when I would go to counseling and stuff like that is I would look at them as they told me what I'd done wrong and go, okay, let's, let's do it, let's do this, all right? I, I'm more than willing to look at all the hard stuff in my life. I, I have one, all right, let's hit it hard. Let's go out, let's fix it, let's move on, like, like fast, like now, let's get it fixed today so I can get back to doing what I wanna do. Can we just move it along? I mean, really, I did, I, honestly, what did I do that was so bad that they had to ship me off to Siberia for six months? Come on, right? I mean, I would look at them and, and I have six months. I mean, it was Memorial Day. You know what's six months after Memorial Day? Christmas. That's a long time, let me put it in perspective. You know what six months from now is? Back to school time. 
All right, it's a half a year. And for someone like me, that is forever. Can we just fix it fast? Let's get all the players in the room and let's fight it out. And I say that because I, I think I would win. I'd go, I'd go McGregor on that cowboy. That's what I would do. <laughs> all right, too soon, too soon. You lost some money. It's all right, right? But, but I go, let's just, come on, let's just do this. And the, the answer kept coming back, nope. No, Jim, this is gonna take some time. You gotta slow down. And I just wanted to go, that's stupid. I said, no, all right, and here's why. I've been in therapy quite a while. I, here's what I've discovered. I have two speeds, stop and 100. That's all I got. I, I don't do anything slowly or in moderation. Um, let me quote the great Navy SEAL Shane Patton, all right? He said this, anything in life worth doing is worth overdoing. Moderation is for cowards. That should be in the Bible. <laughs> you should write it in the front cover, right? If you wanna go really deep, how about the, the great you know, theologian, Ricky Bobby? How about this? I just wanna go fast. <laughs> Can't get amen there, right? It's like, yeah. And now I have all these voices saying, you gotta slow down. You can't rush things. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't wanna slow down. And then one day my, my counselor actually said to me, he said, hey, Jim, you've lived the first half of your life going fast. And I looked back and went, it's, it's worked out pretty well till now, all right? And uh, then Harv said, um, and, and now what do you have? And here's what I have. I, I look around, and especially behind me, and there are a lot of bodies laying in the road. See, when you live your life going too fast, you spend a lot of time, way too much time, going back and picking up bodies and making apologies and trying to fix things, which you rarely actually do because you mean to, but there's always more that has to be done in, right in front of you, and you have to do it now and fast. And so I meant to get to that. I just never have time. And then Harv, is, Harv looked at me, and he said, so Jim, is that how you want to live the rest of your life, going fast? running over people, the most important people in your life, hoping that maybe you'll have some time later on to go back and pick up all the pieces? It's like, no. And then he threw out something that would kind of become like my mantra or my, my, my slogan for the rest of my sabbatical. He said, I want you to think about this. What if slow is fast? And I just went, huh? Well, slow, slow is fast. So he elaborated. How about this? Is it possible that, if, Jim, if you were to slow down, you'd actually get to where you want and need to be faster. As opposed to constantly having to go back and fix stuff and repair stuff and, and that, that you ran over. And I, and I, again, I, I looked at him and went, I'll pray about that. <laughs> Which we all know means that, no, I don't wanna do that. Um, so a few days later, I'm sitting in my family room and Paul Andrews, one of our elders, he came over to kind of check on me. And he was telling me about some stuff that was going on in the office here at Flatirons. And the more he told me, the more I just got amped up, all right? I mean, I was mad. I was like, I can't, I can't believe that. I can't believe so-and-so is doing that and saying that and acting like that. Hey, Paul, you know, I just want to go over. And he goes, hey, Jim, why is this, why is this bothering you so much? I didn't even stop. I just went, because I lead Flatirons. And he goes, no, you don't. Not right now. And it's like someone kicked me right in the stomach. And, uh, <laughs> bad bike wreck, you know what I mean? Uh, and I went, wow, that hurt. And he said, Jim, you've got to stop. And you've got to slow down. And I said, and do what? You just go up to your cabin and do what? I don't know how to do nothing. Just get away and, and slow down and rest. That's like saying to an addict, just say no. It's not that easy, right? And so I go, up to my, I go all right, I'll do it. Because apparently I'm not in charge. And uh, <laughs> that wasn't in my notes, it just comes out. And uh, so I go, okay. Fine. And I went up to my cabin and I stared down a tunnel of five months of doing nothing slowly. All right. And that's exciting. And, uh, and I'm out there and I had an idea. 
which is always dangerous, all right? Uh, so buckle up. So here, here's, let me give you some backstory. So a few months before sabbatical, I had an opportunity to go to Scotland uh, with some, some of my buddies. They were celebrating some birthdays in their life. And they said, hey, Jim, you wanna go with us? And since they were paying, I was like, yes, because that's how I roll, all right? And so, uh, so I, I love Scotland for several reasons. Um, this is my second time being there. The first time was about three years ago. I actually went over to visit one of our partners, Globoscope, which is doing amazing stuff there at the University of Edinburgh. And so that's where I kind of fell in love with the place. But let me tell you the real reasons I really wanted to go. I did one of those uh, ancestry.com things where you spit in the tube and mail it off. I'm 17% Scottish. It's like, I'm going to the homeland. I'm going home, you know? And so I'm like, oh, this is gonna be so much fun. The other thing is, um, I, I dig bagpipes. I like them. I, I have bagpipe music in my truck, all right? My wife opens the door and throws herself on the pavement. But I, 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 I love it, all right? But the real reason is, I, I, I think I look great in a kilt. I do. Um, I own four kilts, I do. And I wear them the right way. Uh, if I can never wear them on stage, he goes, oh, you know, down here. Um, <laughs> Stop thinking about it. Um, but this last year, one of the things that caught my eye, and I'd, I know, I'd seen them before, but they really kind of jumped out at me. All over the countryside in Scotland, England, there are these, uh, these dry stack stone walls everywhere, and they're, they're just beautiful. And, and, and they're like artwork. And, but what really kind of like stuck with me on this trip is that our, our guide pointed at some of those stone walls, and he says, you know, um, some of those have been standing there for between three and 4,000 years. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I don't know if you're involved in the building industry or anything like that, but I'll just be really honest with you. There's nothing being built in the United States that's gonna be still standing three or 400 years from now, let alone three or 4,000 years from now. It's just different. And so I'm up on my porch doing nothing slow. And so I'm, I'm looking on the rail of my cabin and I'm looking down uh, at the driveway that kind of leads up to my cabin. And I thought, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna build a wall. It's not a political statement. Don't email, uh, don't email me because I won't answer it. This is stupid. You need to lighten up. All right, so I'm gonna build a wall like the ones in Scotland. And I know what you're thinking. Do you know how to do that? Have you ever done it before? No, that's never stopped me in any other area of my life, right? And so, uh, I mean, how hard could it be? And there's YouTube, duh, right? And, uh, and that's what I did. That's also how I learned to repel. I don't recommend that, but... That's a true story. Anyway, so I, um, so I informed my counselor that my next point would go, hey, Harv, I'm gonna build this wall and it's gonna become this metaphor for my sabbatical. And initially I was just thinking, slow is fast. I had no idea what that really meant. Here's what I was about to learn. I'm gonna have to go slow. See, I, I'm gonna, here's what I've discovered. I was gonna need a lot of rocks. And rocks are heavy because they're made out of rock. <laughs> Right? And, uh, and, and after the first few, so you can find some right around the cabin. This is easier, right? But then when you kind of use up all those, then you have to go way out in the mountains and you have to dig them out of really, really remote places. And here's the other thing that made it slow is that my cabin sits at 8,200 feet and there's no air up there. You know, and so if you go too fast, you'll wear out and you'll have to quit at least for a while. Or if you go way too fast, you'll wear out and die. Because like, boom, I'm dead. And they'll find me in the woods, all right? So fast as fast is not an option. So I said, I'm gonna do this. And so on June 22nd, I started picking up rocks, all right? Some of them were like this big, some of them were like this big, all right? And so I started gathering them around the cabin and then I went out to more remote places around the cabin and I would put 20 or 30 of them in the back of my four-wheeler. That's all the suspension could handle, all right? Then I would drive them back down the hill and to the, to the side of my driveway and then I would unload them and then I would go back and I would get another load. And sometimes, sometimes I mean, um, especially at the beginning, 
uh, and I wasn't used to it, I, I would put four or five maybe big rocks in the back of my four-wheeler, and then I'd be out of breath, and I'd look at Murphy, my dog, and go, buddy, we got to sit down, all right? And so I would go sit down on a stump or another rock, and, uh, and sometimes I would think about you. I'd be up there on a Saturday or Sunday, because I wasn't allowed to come to church, and, uh, and I'd think about you all, and... Uh, and I'd sit out there and I'd go, I wonder, if I wonder if they're singing a song, what song they're singing right now. And I wonder what, if Ben's teaching. And some, some of those Saturdays and Sundays, I, I, I prayed for you, some of them. Some of them, I just got madder. It's like, I cannot believe they're singing and I'm not there. I mean, it's like, um, and then I just go back to work. It was a roller coaster. And then on uh, July 21st, I, I laid the very first stone, all right? Um, and I don't know how many stones are in the wall. I lost track at 6,000 uh, stones over the next several months. And it, everyone had the same, uh, same kind of same process. I had to go out and I had to pick it up or dig it out of the side of the mountain. And then one by one, I put it on my four-wheeler and then I'd drive it back down the hill and I'd unload it. And then it would come time to, to put it on the wall and I had to figure out which one goes. And I picked that one up and tried to turn it and adjust it. And that wasn't the right one. I put it down and I'd find another one. Sometimes I'd have to take a chisel and kind of take the edge off, uh, but over, over time, uh, it, it began to kind of take shape, and eventually, um, I, had a, I had a wall and, uh, and a drum kit in my yard. Uh, <laughs> that's weird. Um, so, I, yeah, um, in a few, a few days, uh, some buddies would come up and go, hey, you want to help? And I was like, yeah, but most of the time, uh, it was just me and Murphy, my dog, and Jesus in the mountains working stuff out, building a wall. Now, that's the story, all right? That's the story. Now, let me tell you the truths that God taught me and is still teaching me through that experience. Some of them are obvious and some are not so obvious. And I know, I know you didn't come here going, I hope it's a wall-building lesson. It's a parable. If we're gonna get to Jesus in just a minute, I promise. So let me go back to the truths that, um, that God's been teaching me. The first one I've already mentioned, um, slow is fast. This stuff is good. You should write this down, all right? Um, uh, so here's the application of that, and this is just true. The most important things that are built to last for a long time always require you to go slowly because if you try to go too quick, too, too fast, first of all, you'll spend way too much time going back and repairing or rebuilding than if you had just slowed down in the first place and done it right the first time. That's just, that's just true. And if you go too fast, here's the other thing is, you'll wear yourself out or you'll get hurt and then you'll have to quit the project altogether. Not because you don't wanna keep working, you just can't. It's just not, you don't have anything left. Remember, this is a metaphor. We're not gonna talk about walls, all right? The second truth I learned was this. So the, this is, this is a called a dry, a dry stack wall, meaning there's no concrete, there's no mortar in there, there's no adhesive like artificially holding the pieces together, okay? So because of that, the most, the most important stones are the foundational stones. If you were to come up to the mountains with me, so where's the foundation? You wouldn't see it because I had to dig a trench. It's actually underground, you will never see it. But if you get the foundation wrong, the wall will be weak and it will collapse. Probably not this year, but eventually. The third truth that goes like, uh, was, was taught me by my good friend, his name's Scott Grubbs. He's a professional mason. He works with bricks and, and, and rock for a living and he came up to inspect what I had built so far and give me some pointers and, and some tools. And, and so as we were talking and looking at this wall, he, uh, he said something that was so profound. I don't think he understood how profound it was. I actually looked at him and I went, Scott, that's gonna preach. 
And it is, all right? He said this, he said, stonemasonry, working with rocks and bricks, stonemasonry is a series of constant adjustments, which, which means this, when you, when you build a wall like this, every stone has to touch every stone around it. It has to be connected to the stone next to it or above it or, or below it. It has to be, support it and be supported by it. And here's why, because when the weather changes, and we all know the weather changes big time here in Colorado, right? Uh, or we live at the ground, when it swells or shifts and things like that, uh, pressures from above or pressures from below, it will actually put pressure on the wall. And if you build it the right way, it will cause the stones to actually lean in on each other. And the more pressure it comes under, the stronger the wall comes over time. It's nuts. But if there are any gaps in this wall, any holes, any empty places, any unsupported rocks just kind of hanging out there, eventually the wall will, will fail. Again, not this year, maybe not next year, but eventually, inevitably, it will fall apart. The, the fourth truth goes like this about this wall. It goes like this. If, if the worst thing were, that you can imagine were to happen to it, something catastrophic, like somebody backed their truck into it, Hypothetically, well, all right, um, you don't lose the whole wall, all right? Here's what I learned, right? It's possible to fix and repair the broken part of the wall so that it's even stronger than before. Now, Jesus was the best teacher ever, all right? He's just the best teacher ever. And he was such a good teacher that he could look out and read his audience and he'd say, hey, today I wanna, I wanna tell you a story about farming or I wanna tell you a story about fishing or I wanna tell you a story about um, uh, raising sheep. And today I think he'd say something like, hey, I wanna tell you a story about building a wall. But really he was explaining these deep spiritual truths about God and about life. And then he would find a metaphor and say they're kind of the same this unfamiliar spiritual thing and this thing that you do every day. And then people like us would connect the dots and go, well, now I finally get it. I understand that. Now I'll remember that. And that's what I want today to be for us. Let me explain. So let's go back to some of those truths and I've combined them, all right? Um, slow is fast. And the most important things that are built to last always require you to go slowly. And the most important stones are the foundational stones. And this is pointing to a spiritual truth. We're not talking about a wall. You gotta go slow. It's gonna take a long time and you gotta get, you gotta get the foundation right. Now, let me tell you how this kind of all clicked in my head. I, I had an aha moment. You know what an aha moment is? Where you go and go, ah, that's an aha moment, okay? Um, and when, I, when it clicked in my head, what, what God was trying to teach me, I was almost embarrassed because I, I never, I never, it's right in front of me. I've never seen it before. And here's what I mean. I, I've read the Bible a lot, right? That's my, kind of my job, all right? And, and there's, these, there's these stories of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the gospels or the, the biographies of Jesus. And if you read through the stories of Jesus, he healed a lot of people. And, but not like we would do it. Not like he'd take people to the doctor. I mean, they were like miracles. Like you can't explain it, right? Like he would speak. Somebody was sick and he would speak to them and they weren't sick anymore, who can do that? Uh, he, he could heal broken bodies. Like, like one time, he found this guy who had been blind since he was born, and he, this is great, he spit in the dirt, took mud, and rubbed it on the guy's eyes, and said, now wash your eyes, and he washed his eyes, and he could see. All right, just like that. Um, one time, there's a, there a guy who had never been able to walk for his whole life, and Jesus looked at him and says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And the man stood up and walked home. How do you do that? It's a miracle. One of my favorite stories is, is this dad came and said, my daughter is at home, and she's dying. Will you come to my house? And he says, you have great faith. She's fine. And she, was, she, she came back to life. That's a miracle, right? Now, time out. 
sidebar here, all right? All the people, think about this, this is deep. All the people that Jesus healed or raised from the dead later got sick and died. Everyone. How can you say that? Where are they? Ah, sensei. Yeah, there, yeah, right? <laughs> you know what Jesus never healed instantly? He could do bones and he could do, you know, all that. You know what he never healed instantly? A person's character. And I miss this. And you gotta think about this. You can't find one story in the whole Bible of Jesus putting his hands on a person and when he took them off, they were never greedy again. It's not in there. There are no stories uh, of Jesus taking mud and rubbing it on a guy's eyes. And this guy maybe had struggled with pornography his whole life, you know? And then he rubbed mud on his eyes. And when he washed his eyes, he never looked at anything with lust in his heart ever again. It's not in there. There's no accounts of a person who was really angry and bitter coming up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, do something. And then Jesus did it. And they walked away and they, they, they were no longer bitter or angry for the rest of their life. They became this peaceful, you know, loving saint. It's not in there. Wouldn't it be great if it was? It's not. See, see, when it comes to the parts of our lives, most important parts, the parts that we look at and go, that's just who I am. It's the part of me that makes me me. It's the part of me that lasts forever. Those parts always take a really long time to build. And when they get broken, they take a really long time to repair. This part of our life, it's, it's not an event. It, it's a journey. It's, it's always a journey. See, what's that mean? Well, here's what it means for me. And this is, again, I, you know, I've missed this. This clicked in my head and heart in late November. I mean, just a few weeks ago, all right? I mean, I mean I, my, my sabbatical was kind of wrapping up. And so I went up to the cabin because I spent a lot of time up there, but I knew I was coming back here and I wouldn't be able to do that anymore. And so I kind of walked around, uh, the, my, I walked my wall and I just, I just went through all these memories. And then about halfway through it, I stopped. And I, here's what I kind of, clicked in my head is that uh, the person I was when I laid those rocks and the person I was when I laid those rocks three months later were not the same man. I'm not the same person. Those stones down here, those were laid and everyone was with anger. I mean, oh, you should have seen it. I was like, you know, and there's confusion and there conversations in my, in my head where we're blaming people and accusing people. There's just profanity going through. I just can't believe they did that. But by the time I got down here to, to this end, weeks, months later, right, my thoughts were more about asking for forgiveness rather than demanding apologies. That, that was about, I want truth, I want, I, want, I want justice, I want vengeance. And when I got down here, it was much more, I want grace. I, I need forgiveness. I wanna heal. So when did it change? I don't know. I wish, I wish, all right? I wish I could go, uh, magic rock right there. It's amazing, that rock right there. No, I don't know. I can't put my finger on when or where on that wall it changed. I just, I just know, here's what I did. I just kept coming back every day and doing what I knew to do. I showed up and I did the work of what was in front of me. I was trying to build on a new, strong foundation. Does this sound familiar? I just tried to be faithful and obedient to what God had put in front of me that day. That's all I could do. Everything else is out of my control. And after several months, I got down here and there was a long way to go. I'm not done. But write this down, this is just good. You can't go fast, but you have to keep going, right? You, you, you can't get there all at once, but you have to keep going. We, we don't quit, right? So next, look at this. So this is, this is prophecy, or this stone masonry is a series of constant 
adjustments. Write this down. So is marriage and parenting and friendship and dating. Every important part of, of, of your life. It's a series of, okay, we gotta change it just a little bit. We gotta adjust it just a little bit. See, I spend a lot of my time praying, not for the world or, you know, no, no. I, I, I spent a lot of time building this wall, praying for individuals. I, I would really, I, I did this. I would, I would pick up a rock and go, hey, as I'm putting this rock in place, I'm gonna pray for Robin, my wife, pray for what's going on in her life and in her health, things like that. And then I get another rock and I pray for my daughter or my son or, or their spouses or one of my, my, my grandkids. I pray for them by name. And here's the truth I discovered as I did that over the months as there's just like this, this wall, there's no relationship that you can say, there, it's good. I don't ever have to take, pay attention to it again. It's fine. No. You can't, you can't, here's the other thing. You can't approach every stone the same. They're all different. You can't approach any relationship like you did another relationship. Everyone is, is different. And here's the other thing is, and you can't take a relationship and, and kind of think it's in place and go, well, it's not perfect, but it's good enough. It'll be all right for a while. You can't, we can't do that with rock. We can't do that with each other. Here's what I mean is you have to be sure that the most important people in your life don't lose contact. You have to be touching. You have to be supporting one another and being supported by them. And here's why. Because it's not an if. It's a matter of time until the ground underneath your foundation is gonna shift and it will reveal if you're really connected or not or you just have this facade. We are really good, aren't we, at putting up this facade and gluing things to the surface going, look, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then the, the pressures of life hit and it cracks and it all falls apart and real, reveals it was never fine in the first place. Does that feel familiar? Yeah. Here's the second part of, about that part, all right? Uh, at one point, building this wall, I, I got really, really self-righteous. I'm so spiritual. I and mean, here's what I mean, is I looked at this wall and went, it's a metaphor, it's for my metaphor for my life with God. It's a metaphor for my family. I want to build a family. I want to build a legacy that will last for a thousand years. So I'm going to let every one of these stones represent a prayer for my family, a thought for my family, a member of my family, my closest friends. And as so I've spent all this time, like I'm so spiritual. I'm like the Bible people. You know, something happened, they, they take rocks and pile it up and going, oh, something, God did something good here, all right? And then about, about two thirds of the way through, through the summer, I realized I was actually neglecting spending time with my family, because I was up in the mountains by myself building a wall to represent the bond I had with my family. That was an awkward day. <laughs> hey, babe, I can't hang out with you. I gotta go build a wall for you, right? And uh, <laughs> that's convicting, though, because I'll just speak for myself. How many times have I run off to work or done something for God or whatever that is, and I tell myself and I tell my family, but I'm doing it for you, I have to be gone some more, but I'm doing it for you. I've neglected the very family I'm claiming that I'm trying to provide for. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, that is so convicting to me that I don't even wanna talk about it anymore. We'll just do another series next year on that one, okay? So, uh, but let me look at this, this last truth and then we'll connect some dots. And this, I think, is the most important one. Look at this. It's possible to fix and repair the broken parts of the wall so that it's even stronger than before. And we're not talking about walls. So you could actually, it's possible to fix and repair the broken parts of my life so it's even stronger than before. It's possible. So, I, so um, you know, we talk about those crucible retreats and uh, liminal retreats and 
soul beauty retreats and unknown retreats, all these, all right? And it's where you go off and you do hard work. And so I remember the first time I went to my retreat about six years ago. Um, and so on the last like closing ceremony, they, they wanted to impress upon the men there is that we've got to stick together and we've got to take care of one another because if we live our lives in isolation, something bad's gonna happen and we're gonna fall apart, which is the story of a lot of us, all right? And the metaphor that they used was the giant redwood trees, all right? So the giant redwood trees are on our West Coast and uh, they're, I don't know if they're the biggest trees in the world, but they're the biggest trees in North America and they're right on the coast and they, they grow like 300 feet tall. That's a football field on its, on its end, all right? Huge, huge trees. But their roots only go down 10 or 20 feet. It doesn't make sense, right? Because there's big winds coming off the Pacific Ocean. But the, the, these trees, they don't go down very deep, but they take their roots and they go way, 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 way out. And there's another redwood tree sitting over here and its roots come this way and then the roots intertwine together and they actually hold on to one another. So when the wind blows, they, they take care of each other and they support one another. And I think that's a great picture. I think it's a great metaphor for how we need to hold on to one another and support one another so we don't fall down in isolation. It's a great picture of yoke up with me. Let's carry the load together. Let's don't give up. Let's, let's hang together. So it's a great picture to a point. Here's where the metaphor kind of falls apart for me, no pun intended. But what happens when a catastrophic storm hits and hits that tree and despite all the efforts to hang on to one another, the tree gets blown down. And if you've been there, there's some laying on their sides. What happens when a redwood gets blown down? Here's what the answer is not. You just stand it back up. No, you don't. You, you can't. There's no story of anybody taking a 300-foot tree and standing it back up. It's, just, it's impossible. Which is why I think that this dry stack wall is a better metaphor for the life that Christ has in mind for us for a couple reasons. No matter what happens, natural, catastrophic, cancer, car wreck, divorce, stuff, you didn't have, it just you got blown at you and you didn't get to choose. Or, or how about this? You just really screwed something up and your, and, your, and your wall broke. Here's the thing about life. As long as someone is willing to show up every day, as long as somebody's willing to, to keep on working hard and do the work and never, ever, ever give up and keep on taking care of it, this wall can last for three or 4,000 years. Every part of this wall can be repaired. It's possible. And it is for you too and me. It's possible. It's not easy, but it's possible. Now, if you notice, I've only got like a couple minutes left, and um, I haven't mentioned any Bible verses, all right? And there, uh, there's no shortage of Bible verses I could have referenced. Um, I'll, I'll give you a few off the top of my head. Um, so my, one of my favorites is in Matthew chapter seven. Jesus says, the person who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. And the storms will hit your life because you're on a good foundation. It won't, it won't fall down. Uh, there's other verses about Jesus is like the foundational cornerstone and the whole house depends on him. There's no shortage of stories and metaphors and parables about rocks and, and, and walls in the Bible. But when I look at the wall behind me, there's only one word out of the Bible that comes to mind for me. You know what it is? Peace. And let me explain, because I wish I would have known that on the front end, but it wasn't until just a few weeks ago that it all came together for me. So some of you know Hebrew, you don't even know it. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. 
right? You've seen it in a movie or something, right? Shalom. And it means more than the absence of war or the absence of conflict, although shalom certainly means that. It can be applied in that sense as well. But shalom on a, on a true deeper meaning actually translates this way, complete or, or whole. Now hang on to that, because um, the, the ancient Hebrew language and the ancient Greek language, which is what most of the Bible was written in originally, okay, um, the English language is not so much like this, but those two languages have what are called word pictures that go with them, so that if someone like me were to say shalom, there's an image or an idea that would come to your, your mind. And the word, this is just crazy, because you can't make this stuff up. The word picture that goes with the word shalom is this. It's a perfect whole stone with no cracks or, look at this, a stone wall that has no gaps and no missing pieces. You can't make this up. What do you mean? Something like a dry stack stone wall is very, very complex. It's made up of a lot of different pieces, 6,000 and counting on this one. Um, and, and it's complete. If, if a Hebrew person were to come up to the cabin and look at my wall and say, it's not missing anything, it's complete and it's whole, they would say, Jim, your wall is in a state of shalom. And that would certainly apply to life. You see the connection here? So your life is just like this wall. It's very complex. It's made up of a lot of different pieces. And if those pieces are missing or, or out of alignment or fall down, I think this would describe how we feel. I feel like um, my shalom broke down. My, my peace broke down. Life is no longer whole. Something needs to be restored, which is why shalom is also a verb. Actually, you can actually bring shalom and when you bring shalom, it means that you make something that was missing something, you make it complete. And the Bible's full of stories like that. A guy named Solomon says that when, when enemies reconcile a broken relationship, he says that they bring shalom. In the Old Testament, there's all these prophets, and we just celebrated the event called Christmas. All these prophets said that one day God would send his one and only son, and he would be known as the Prince of Shalom, Prince of Peace, and he would restore everything, and he would make things right and whole, everything that had been broken down by sin. He would, he would repair the part of the wall, the connection, the relationship between us and God that had been broken. He would become the cornerstone, and some of us would reject him, and some of us would say, I want to build my life on him. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is the very first public talk Jesus ever gave. He said, blessed are the shalom makers. Because when you, when, you, when you bring shalom, you actually experience the with God kind of life. Uh, one time Jesus looked at his followers and he says, um, I want to give you something. I would like to give you my shalom, my peace I give to you. Again, like Paul says this. He says, we, we have shalom with God through Jesus. And he goes on to say, and the grace that Jesus gives us is the same grace that not only takes away our sin, it's also the grace that gives us the strength to stand or when we fall down to get back up. Same word. Another place Paul says this, Jesus is our peace and it's broken down any wall between us and anybody around us. In another place, he says this, that we have peace with God, but, but, this is a big one, but that peace came with a price, which is the blood of Jesus on a cross. And I guess that's what I wanna leave you with. I wanna leave you with this truth. Um, does anybody else need peace? And it seems to be eluding you. See, see, would anybody like to see the, the parts of your life that are broken or missing come back into wholeness and completeness? Let me just tell you this, all right? Um, slow as fast. It won't happen all at once. It's gonna take a while. And I promise that it probably involves a series of constant adjustments along the way. And it won't be easy. Because peace is so good, but peace takes a lot of work. And it, 
It's not just the absence of conflict. It's not just we don't fight anymore. It's more, it's a journey. It's moving from death to life. And that doesn't happen in one day, all right? It's, it's, it's restoring what was broken and making it whole. And it's, and it's now possible for just people like us because of Jesus. Does anybody need the pieces of their life to come? This is what Ben and I are gonna talk about for the next month. My life is shattered in pieces and I want them to come back together so I can have peace. It's gonna take a lot of work, but it's possible. Isn't Jesus a good teacher? Let me give you one more and then we're gonna take communion together and sing a Johnny Cash song because we're flat irons. Um, so, so Jesus says, I wanna give you, a, I wanna give you a, a parable. I wanna give you a metaphor. I want everybody to take a piece of bread. And I know what bread has meant in the past, but from now on, whenever you look at this bread, I want you to think of me. I want you to think of me. It's like it's my, it's my body. And it doesn't literally become his body. Or anything, but when you look at that piece of bread, I want it to be a metaphor for me. And then when you drink this little cup of juice, um, I want you to remember a lot of hard work had to be done on our behalf so that our wall could come back together and be whole again. And that's Jesus on the cross. Here's my, here's my favorite story of Jesus. He looked at some people and went, do it. Nail me to a cross. Stick me in a hole and put a big old rock on top of it. And then stay tuned. And three days later, he walked out of the grave and says, if I can do this, you can trust everything I ever said. And here's what I said. I would like to give you my peace. And it's available to anybody who wants it. So we're gonna take communion together. And some, we come from a lot of different backgrounds and we got people all over the world watching from different backgrounds. Hit pause right now and go to your fridge, all right? Listen, just, we're gonna take a cracker and we're gonna take some communion juice. Are you allowed to do this? Do you want peace? The bread and the juice don't bring you peace. Jesus brings you peace. He just gives us these symbols to say, it's all available to you. You just have to ask. So if you wanna take communion with us today, then you, you're welcome. And if you want, I don't, I'm not, I don't wanna do that, just let it go on, on by. So uh, I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna sing this awesome song. Um, soundtrack of my life. Ain't no grave gonna hold me down. Ain't no tomb gonna keep me, no, no, my past is not gonna keep me condemned forever because Jesus rose from the dead. And if, if, if he walked out of the grave, I'm walking too, right? And so are you, right? So let's pray. So God, in this moment, all things actually become possible. If you can roll away a stone and come back to life, if you can, can, can look at us and say, I want, I'm not going anywhere, I, I love you, um, then all things really are possible. God, there's so many times we look at it and go, could you just fix it now, right now? And you know what, if that was the best way, because you love us and you want good for us, you would fix it right now, but you're so good and you're so wise, you know the path, and it's usually a journey, especially in the most important parts of our life. I pray today, God, is the first step on a journey uh, for some of us of moving from death to life and brokenness to wholeness, from living in pieces to finally experiencing peace your peace that you're offering it today. So we're gonna, we're gonna take communion, we're gonna sing a song, we're gonna worship you because you are good and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.